Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. Uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. Uh, and I realized we didn't really do this uh, at the front end of our first inaugural session, uh, but this is where we sit down and we discuss the readings of the church service for, for the upcoming Sunday. Uh, and I ask all the questions that everyone's afraid to ask for fear of looking dumb, mm-hmm. um, because I'm not afraid of looking dumb. Uh, Heck, it's a podcast. Who can tell? <laughs> That's right. Sounding dumb. Uh, I have the look of dumb to go with it, though, so it's a full package. Um, but but uh, that the, uh, the the opportunity to, to kind of get, get in more of a discussion going as to what these readings are, and and what they mean, and maybe trying to interpret them a little bit differently, right. or get get into the weeds on some of the things. So. Yeah, and these are from the New Revised Standard Lectionary, so it cuts across many many denominations. Just about any denomination that uses a lectionary. The one true reading of the no, I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding of course, of course. <laughs> Nuances to the different uh, to the different um, styles of of. of of text that have been interpreted and reinterpreted. That's over the part years. of the fun. The fun, yes, yes. Speaking part of the fun. A, speaking as a member of the clergy, it's part of the fun. <laughs> we have a low level of fun. We we really need to work on that. <laughs> so uh, so this these are the the readings for uh, Thanksgiving Sunday, the twenty fifth, uh, right. November twenty fifth, which are, is coming up. Uh, as you're listening to this, you're you're preparing to stuff yourself silly with turkey and gravy, and none of these readings really apply to that. So, yes, I don't think Jesus <laughs> ever had turkey. He was missing out. Yeah. I mean, missing out. So, um, but so we want to dive right into the readings then. Well, let me just say one thing about the the set of readings. It is the the Sunday before. Advent starts. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that about Advent next time. But this is traditionally called either Christ the King Sunday or the Realm of Christ Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so the readings pop out of order from things that we've been talking about through the lectionary year for months. And suddenly there rises up these themes about Jesus' authority. Okay. okay. So that's why there's suddenly... For instance, the reading from the Gospel of John when Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate. Because they're talking about kingship, it fulfills the theme of Christ the King Sunday or the Realm of Christ Sunday. I don't know as if I've ever heard it referred to as the Realm of Christ Sunday. either. You heretic! I know, right? It, it, that, that I'm outing myself. I'm sure I, that, that tells that I haven't paid attention to... Uh, the the last year's uh, <laughs> service or something. Well, actually, it's it's often the Sunday that that clergy for about the last twenty or thirty years, at least Episcopal clergy, have avoided like the plague preaching. So they'll bring in a seminarian or something. Oh, okay. To preach that day because it is a bizarre artifact. The plague of the reign of Christ. The pl- <laughs> no? no, wait, no, that's not it. That's, <laughs> that's not right. right there. That's right there. But it's, uh, it, it's an odd concept, for, mm-hmm. particularly in a democratic society, to have Christ the King. And 30 years ago and more, you could read commentaries about, oh, just say it's Christ the President Sunday. Oh, wait, 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 no, we elect presidents. That's not good. And then Watergate happened, and the whole idea of presidency shifted. 
Don't you elect your personal lord and savior? <laughs> I would say there, there's a there's a little bit of a tie there. Well, I there, there is a selection, <laughs> but who calls who? That's the question. And so there's been a, a discomfort with that dimension. There's been a discomfort with the male language of Christ the King. Sure. Um, and so the term that's come up over the last decade or so is the realm of Christ, um, oh. as in the kingdom of God type of language, so that it's a little more inclusive and gets to the point of it's not that Jesus is king of a kingdom on earth. It's instead, how is the world being transformed by God? I gotcha. Okay. And so that's sort of the theme that runs through these readings. Okay. Well, the, should we? You mentioned John. Do we, should we? Let's start? start with John. Should we go backwards? That doesn't seem. That seems so improper. <laughs> we shall go backwards. <laughs> First, before we before I read that, the the one of the things that you just said that struck me as interesting was was the the, the concept of the kingdom mm-hmm. being a physical realm on earth, and that that seems to be a a, a theme that that. Uh, Harkening back a little bit to our discussion last week, uh, continues to run through the human disciples, the the, the, yeah. the mere mortals uh, that they keep they, they keep getting hung up on that concept of a physical kingdom, and and as we're about to you know read it here in John, that really was not what he was, he was trying to dispel that myth. Of, yeah, Jesus was trying to dispel that that myth that expectation, even yes, even as the disciples still had the forefront of their minds about what was the Messiah going to do, who was the Christ going to be. Interesting. Well, in, in an effort to not listen to myself read anymore, would you would you mind reading this this selection, or would you... Would you uh... Why don't you read it, because yeah. I bet I'll do a lot of talking. Okay, sure, sure. <clears throat> I, I, I'm happy to contribute something. Um, the, okay, so in John 18, 33 through 37, then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? I, Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then the following verse is Pilate asked him, What is truth? And the conversation ends. (laughs) With that as, hanging question, as, as it does for most philosophy majors. Yes. Of, <laughs> so, so one of the things I wanted to make sure we hit on immediately is the whole concept of who was arresting Jesus and who was persecuting Jesus, mm-hmm. because it is thoroughly, uh, it is a bit confusing if you simply look. At the four Gospels, each of which have a different, slightly different account of how this trial transpires. John is the most different one. But 
if we look at that versus the historic documents that are increasingly becoming available mm -hmm. from the time of Jesus, we see a couple different things happening. One is that Pilate was historically an extremely bloodthirsty, uh, cruel dictator over that region. Mm -hmm. That he was trying to make his career on the back of the of anyone he could accuse of being an insurgent or disloyal to Rome. Mm -hmm. So there are, are historic accounts of him <clears throat> inviting hundreds of people into a sports stadium who were in disagreements or for a town hall meeting, come tell me your grievances, and simply having the Roman soldiers kill them all. Huh. Conversation ender. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the roads to and from Jerusalem were lined with crosses of people crucified. That Pilate had a huge affection for crucifying people. That he, he did dozens a day often. Interesting. So, so the... He sounds so pleasant. He's a pleasant man. Trying to climb the career of the Roman Empire by trying to bring under control an area that was very unruly because the folks who were part of what historically had been the Jewish homeland mm -hmm. were, there were many people there who were armed insurgents. There were also many who were in sort of passive resistance and others who were willing to go along to get along, but were never going to give their full allegiance to Rome. Um, mm. And then there are others, of course, who were, who were going to give their full allegiance to Rome for a variety of reasons. So to see Pilate, as sometimes is portrayed in movies and, and dramatizations, as this almost helpless passive figure is a huge mistake. Interesting. I, I would I would uh, point out that in in at least a lot of the uh, texts that deal with you know the passion uh, uh, gospel the the language of those texts don't necessarily feed into that bloodthirstiness right um, I mean are there are there like should it like it, it, as as this was written um, in its native tongue, someone reading that, would, would they have gone, oh, <laughs> this guy is like borderline dangerous as he's asking these questions? Mm -hmm. or, or or did the authors kind of, you know, mellow it out a little here? That That's the que that's the historic question that we all, well, at least I want to ask soon after I get into heaven is what was the intent behind this? But people much smarter than I, like Raymond Brown and Dominic Crossan, to uh, great scholars of the New Testament uh, talk about this in an interesting way. Raymond Brown particularly talks about how the early Christians, as they began to put these stories of Jesus in writing, mm -hmm. and therefore attributable, and therefore evidence in court, they softened the role of the Romans. Okay. And that Part of Brown's theory is that that was in part to literally preserve the lives of Christians. So that if they were caught with what we would now call a Bible, if they were caught with a copy of a gospel, it would not read as an indictment of the Roman Empire and would not read as a criticism of Pontius Pilate. Hmm. Because that was trivial. What was much more important 
was spreading the message of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, his teachings, his miracles, and that the, the Romans' role, while pivotal in how Jesus died, was not crucial to the message that had to be shared. Gotcha. So it wasn't a big deal to shift the blame from the Romans, who actually were responsible for the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, to the Jewish leaders, who by the time these texts were written down, had been scattered mm. and were no longer uh, available for either arrest or defense. There, there, yeah, it's not covered too, uh, too, too in, with an, with great entirety in the Bible, but the the end result of many of the New Testament authors. Uh, was not old age. Right. <laughs> right. And a lot of the Jewish authorities was not old age. Sure. Because uh, not long after the death of Jesus, all-out war broke out. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Many of the chief priests and scribes were executed by the Romans. Hmm. So the whole religious structure was destroyed by the Romans. And therefore, the... Leader, the, what we read now as the leaders of the temple was almost um, a fantasy or a fiction well, for the people reading because those people had been dead for you know, years, not not like fifty years, but a handful of years. So, so in other words, this is a, this is what we have today is is more, maybe more accurately described as a reconstruction that that yeah. that, that possibly these writings were initially done. Shortly after their events, or 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 maybe a couple of years after the events of Christ, and but they were lost as a result of of that war. Or oh, I see what you're saying. No, what we believe transpired, and there's evidence to back this up by <clears throat> linguistic studies as well as what documents are now being recovered increasingly often through archaeology, is that Christians, for the most part thought that Jesus was going to come back in what we now call the second coming within their lifetimes. Mm, okay. And so all you had to do was tell everyone that you knew and trusted the story of who Jesus was, and your role as an evangelist was complete. Christians then saw the eyewitnesses to Jesus beginning to die of old age and thought, wait a minute, we better preserve these it stories. Was a preservation effort yeah. and, and, and recognizing so, maybe the second coming is going to take a little while longer than we thought. Exactly. And so then the story started to be written down. And so most of the estimates about when they were written down for the first time are, are roughly 20 years after mm -hmm. the resurrection. So, so I want to take one step back. We, we'd previously been talking about the, the writing... Of the role, the the role of the Romans down. Mm -hmm. Was it also possible that because there's plenty of there's many numbers of prophecies in in the in the Bible, one of which does talk about, or several of which actually do talk about, you know, the coming of the Messiah and mm -hmm. how uh, various things talk about how he's he's going to be handed over. Uh, implications of by his own people was there also maybe a subtle change to make make sure that it matches up with the prophecy for oh. this, the, the the purposes of storytelling that's an excellent question and oh, thank you 
This has been <laughs> quit while you're in. And for instance, if you look at the Book of Psalms and the, the Psalms that refer to the that that line up with the events of the Passion, particularly, there are scholars that say it looks like the Book of Psalms was, in a sense, open as the Gospel writer was describing the crucifixion, mm -hmm. so that. If that was, um, some would say that was the memory reminder, that was the, the cue of what had happened. Others said that's how the writer of that particular gospel passage, whichever one it was, it was in the Passion, that's how they were making sense of it for their readers, mm. using that imagery. Um, but it's... It, it turns into a chicken and egg dynamic of we believe that God can use anything to inspire us. Mm -hmm. So whether it was that God very carefully fixed within the Hebrew scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, prophecies to help us understand who Jesus was, or if God then inspired the writers of the Gospels and Paul, Paul's writings, to go back and find those prophecies. It, in some ways, it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, it, it helps us. As long as it opens our heart to God, it's doing the job. Well, and I was more thinking a, a, the more immediate future of, of the purpose of these writings, in that the the culturally these prophecies were a regular part of of their their you know their 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 prayers, their literature. That especially if they were uh, initially considering second coming, would would be uh, here sometime soon. And maybe we should preserve it, but only for like. You know, maybe maybe only in another twenty years, and then then the the, the Messiah will return. The 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 it's still fully ingrained in those in that culture. I doubt. I, I would I would assume at least. I, I doubt necessarily that that uh, many of the 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 authors were necessarily thinking we need this to last millennia, and right. and and for, so that that this message can can share. And we're kind of peering back through the looking glass. And, and trying to wrap our, our minds around certain cultural references mm -hmm. and, and and certain things that no, weren't necessarily meant for us today, but that we still can derive um, value from. Value from exactly. Yeah, and it's they. We have to keep in mind always that the writers of the what are now the scriptures are writing for their audience before them. Mm -hmm. And we and we believe the Holy Spirit's inspiring them to also write for future generations, and to add another dimension, writing for generations a thousand or two or three or four or five or ten thousand years from now. So there may be passages in the scriptures now that we think are completely irrelevant or inexplicable that are just what's going to be needed ten thousand years from now. To the human society of that time on Earth. Hmm. Well, I definitely like the. Uh, I, I definitely like Jesus' response to the King question, mm -hmm. just because uh, the, the the just to go back to it real quick. Uh, when he's asked, "So you are a king?" He's, you say you say I am, but the real answer is this is the reason I was born. Mm -hmm. I was born for this, not to rule, not to govern, 
but to testify to the truth, and everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Uh, it's, I, I really like that answer because it's it, it it's definitely shoving aside the preconceptions that are being pushed on him by, you know, by. By Pontius Pilate. By Pontius Pilate, and by, by plenty of others, yeah. in, including some, I assume, some of his own followers. Even, yeah. uh, it, it, the disciples seem to sometimes show that they get it, but many other times they, they're like, so, kingdom, right? Right. Like physical, <laughs> physical king, right? We're going to overthrow Pilate. We're going to establish, we're going to take over the palace. We're going to... And you're going to give us 10,000 loaves and fishes yeah. once a week so we can eat for free. Yeah. <laughs> Those are yep. all, and particularly in the Gospel of John, there's a, a constant tension around the apostles and the followers' expectations of Jesus and who Jesus sees himself to be and God's call to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And yes, this summarizes it extremely well, this mm -hmm. passage. And he also does something very typical in the Gospel of John of Jesus replying to the question but not answering the question. It's sort of like the what classic, a politician. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's like a good job interview if you answer the oh, question okay, you yeah, want yeah. to answer yes. rather than the one that's asked. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he does that throughout his conversation with Pilate, as he does in almost any conversation he has throughout the Gospel of John. It's it's fascinating to read and to mm -hmm. to ponder. Interesting. Anything more about this? Uh, one one more thing I want to say is that. Something else the scholar Raymond Brown wrote, wrote about is that John's the last of the Gospels written down, and by the time it's written down, the Christian community and the Jewish community have pretty much separated. Hmm. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The um, people of that region have scattered through the Mediterranean. They resettle through mostly urban centers on the Mediterranean shores all the way to Rome uh, and no longer mix with each other. Hmm. And so that's another reason why within, and remember this was an internal document. The gospel was an internal document for Christians. It wasn't meant this to be. It out for publication. Right, because again, it would get you killed. Widely distributed, gotcha. Because it was literally against the law to declare anyone a god except the emperor. Hmm. So it, when... Pilate refers to the Jews, it's, again, almost a fictional character in the reader's minds um, mm. by the time this gospel is written down. But before that, something Dominic Crossan, the scholar, wrote about is that we know from historic documents that until Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans, Christians and Jews lived, worshipped, did ministry, ate, did everything together. There was not a separation. Christians worshipped in the synagogue, worshipped in the temple, that um, there's a very, um, there's a single community of people who believed in the one true God. Hmm. And it was only because of the geographic scattering that there became this really tragic schism between Christians and Jews that's led to anti-Semitism and so much violence, even tragically in the United States in recent weeks. Yeah. That we don't believe as Episcopalians any of that anti Semitism is God's intent, nor um, 
do we believe that Jews are going to hell? That, as Paul writes about, they're the first fruits, and we're grafted on. Hmm. That when heaven's opened, the Jewish people are in first, and we get to follow. And sadly, in Christian history, often that's been reversed in terms of both the theology preached and how um, secular laws were written and things like that to allow discrimination hmm. and, and violence, not just um, verbal anti-Semitism. So sadly, the Gospel of John uses the term Jews in places that historically would not have been accurate, and Christians ran with that in very evil ways. I just want to make that explicit. We don't have the most spotless of records. No, not at all. <laughs> we could, we, it, would, it would be a very long podcast. In fact, that could be a whole completely different podcast we, for, for that topic alone. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, uh, it, I would feel awful going through all that terrible history. <laughs> it's a real bummer, dude. <laughs> it, 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 to say the least, yeah. to say the least. And, and fortunately, we are, as Episcopalians and some other Christian traditions, are really working hard to make up for our, the sins of our tradition mm -hmm. and to both locally and internationally reach out. I was just going to say it. I think it's relationships and offer apology where needed and do our very best to be supportive of our Jewish brothers and sisters. I was going to say, I would, need, I would even point out that we have a, an interfaith community uh, oh, yeah. a, a group that we're, you know, you, we're very you, in, part of and, you in particular are, yeah. you know, are a member of, and, and, and uh, we regularly do things uh, across, kind of, uh, that's a little bit more than across the aisle, that's a bit, but, you mm -hmm. know, between, between synagogue and church and, right. and mosque and, and, and temple, so. Crucial to our life together as human beings. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's let's then take what's interesting about this uh, particular Sunday's readings is it, it, it's a kind of a nice gospel sandwich. Uh, it, it, even though we read the gospel third, uh, we we have a reading before mm -hmm. and a reading after, and they all actually tie together really very nicely because they they are talking about the same things. Um, the 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 John was the the manifestation of of, of during the gospel talking about. This, but uh, it first comes up in the Daniel reading uh, mm -hmm. as as the initial prophecy of, of, of certain things to come, and I love the the the, the language in the Daniel reading. So I'm going to read it because I Good. like it. Uh, but uh, it makes me think of it's kind of like uh, Dungeons and and Dragons kind of a kind of a. Uh, 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 verse because yes. <laughs> because it's very it's it, it's it, it's very poetic in a lot of its description. So. Without any further ado, from Dungeons and Dragons, Daniel 7. Uh, I'm picturing Stranger Things from Netflix. <laughs> I'm ready to roll. So in verse 9 is where we pick up here. Uh, As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. As I watched the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. It's a it's a really cool picture that's painted, and mm-hmm. it kind of, kind of is this is this a, a vision yeah, that that Daniel is speaking of? It's a night vision, okay. as it says. Um, that as very um, literally minded people, Westerners tend to be. Uh, it, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. So I'm actually glad you brought that Dungeon and Dragons mindset because it is a it's it's meant to be a very creative, poetic. Draw your emotions in more than your intellect into who God is. Right, yeah, very mysterious, very yeah, ethereal kind of kind of kind of evokes images of some some of those stories of Greek gods or right. or you know those 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 kind of situations is a very very interesting way to to yeah it. and and one of the ongoing challenges of um, in this case Judaism because uh, this is part of the Jewish um, scripture is the commandment of the Ten Commandments that you're not allowed to make graven images mm-hmm. and so how do you explain trying to see God. How do you explain what that experience mm. might be like? And what this helps us do is is anticipate not even though not so much a visual experience, even though obviously this is very rich visual imagery, but rather a set of emotions and sensations mm. when we're in the presence of God. That makes sense because there's there's also uh, there, there's math in one of these verses that doesn't quite make you know sense. But it, yeah, I assume the, the the people of the time that this was written for it 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 was meant to evoke that sense of innumerable right uh, uh, numbers of people ten thousand times you know ten thousand yeah, that's they, for they don't know what that is they don't know that's <laughs> well actually it had to do with the concept of infinity mm-hmm. not being part of the um, Mediterranean culture yet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so there were certain numbers that one was um, like twelve times twelve was considered a perfect number, and therefore a symbol for infinity. Gotcha. And so when it's like twelve times twelve thousand, that's infinity times a thousand. Right. Uh, right. Even more. <laughs> yeah. Than... So it's supposed. It is supposed to. So for all the math nerds out there, calm down. Right. <laughs> But, they they but, did not know what that was. That was well, a lot they, to they, them. They knew it was infinity, but they didn't have a term. Well, I'm saying 10,000 times 10,000. They didn't know that there's a precise, exact mathematical answer. And I'm saying they did know. Oh, okay. <laughs> they right. did know, but it was symbolic. It was gotcha. poetic gotcha. for infinity. Okay. That, yeah, it was other cultures that developed the actual con- the term infinity and concepts for it. Hmm. And at this point in the cultures that... Um, the Jewish people were part of and that part of the Mediterranean. Instead, when you had certain numbers multiplied by certain numbers, everyone knew said, okay, that's the unending number. Gotcha. Even though yeah. we know the answer. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven and early prophecy to Jesus himself? Well, certainly that's... Or the, the Messiah in general? and That's certainly the Christian interpretation and... For, um, I shouldn't say Christian interpretation, perhaps there's some Christians that don't see it that way, um, but it wasn't necessarily um, a messianic interpretation within the Jewish tradition. Okay, okay. That's one that's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. 
So we look back and so see maybe, that as Christians say, well, we can't help but see that. And understandably. Right, because it's hard to not view it through the lens yeah, that we view it through. We're supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what people until the time of Jesus saw when they read that, there's a wide range of interpretations that are fascinating to read. Hmm. Um, but it is pretty safe to say that most Christians would see this as a foreshadowing of Jesus. Sure. Well, and, and, and the following verse kind of feeds further into that, uh, which we kind of already talked about, but uh, uh, that same human being, uh, his dominion is everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. His kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Kind of feeds further into that concept of kingdom here on earth and 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 I would assume kind of lays the groundwork for the Jewish people making that uh, connection of, oh, if he is the Messiah, then he's here to reign. He's here to rule or... By some, not un far from universally. Mm -hmm. um, but just as quickly, just as in Christianity, we have the, the ongoing correction of, no, Jesus is not going to come and become president of the United States. Within most of Judaism, there was not an expectation that there was going to be a kingly Messiah. That was a subset. Mm. But for most people, most faithful Jews then, now, most faithful Christians um, throughout history, uh, it's more of a concept of God is really the one we're supposed to give our allegiance to and not fall for the latest, greatest, shiniest king. Gotcha. And one of the interesting things that happens repeatedly through the Hebrew Scriptures is almost inevitably, particularly in the earliest stories, whenever there is a king, God says, look, I'm telling you, don't have a king. And the people say, we need a king. And then the king screws up. <laughs> As kings do. As kings do. <laughs> uh, and really that flies, continues right into the Gospels. Hmm. Uh, that we keep wanting to give our allegiance to a human leader when God keeps saying, no, just give it to me, and I will lead you. Right. And, but we don't trust that. So we'd rather mm -hmm. have uh, someone on earth to shoulder that load rather mm -hmm. than taking on that faithful task ourselves to make good choices. Interesting. Faithful choices. Faithful, faithful choices. They are difficult. Yeah. Uh, so then we, we sandwich it nicely with Revelation, which... Uh, uh, there's a whole bunch that we could talk about the book of Revelation in general. But in sp and we'll get a lot of that in the coming weeks, a lot of Revelation. A lot of Revelation. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll save some Revelation discussion for the next mm -hmm. time. Uh, who, who really wrote it, what, what in the world uh, was going on there. There's some, some talk about Daniel is interesting imagery. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some very, very interesting uh, uh, imagery going on in Revelation. But um, And you get extra points. For keeping the title singular, because it is the book of Revelation, not Revelations, which sure. many people inaccurately use. I will keep those. That will be the, sort of the teaser for the coming the, weeks. The, why the, that's important. The, the points uh, are, are spendable at the local Holy Family Canteen. Right? <laughs> that's saving right. up for a T-shirt. Um, <laughs> but uh, in this case, uh, a couple of short verses. So again, I, we're a little bit over what I normally would like to be, but uh, we'll go ahead and finish it, round it out, because, like I said, it's a it's a gospel sandwich kind of a yeah. kind of a, it's all it'll, before and beginning and or, or before and during and end. Uh, so in Revelation, uh, 
kind of bringing everything full circle, it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. There's the circle. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom Priest serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. It kind of harkens back to the Daniel reading there. Very intentionally, we believe. Uh, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Again, the circle. So even within this reading, there's kind of a circle, a mm -hmm. cyclical uh, pattern of, of, of storytelling. But it's a weird circle. And this is fun. Okay. Is and was and is to come. Mm -hmm. Most people probably, if they're constructing that, would have had was, Past, present, and future. future. Instead, the focus is on the present. Hmm. And that's a, a hugely significant intentional word construct to remind us that as readers or, or hearers roughly 2,000 years ago or today or 10,000 years from now that God is God of the present. Interesting. And wherever you are, God is. No matter how bad things are, God is, is there. So it's kind of a, kind of a reminder to the, to, the, to the crowds, to the reader, that... This isn't a story about what has happened, necessarily just what has happened, or the foretelling of what is to come, but keep this mindful and present in your daily life now, mm -hmm. because it's just as important what you are doing now as 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 it was, you know, back when yeah. back in John or back in Daniel or what it's going to come in the second coming. Right. Yeah, you don't have, don't live in the past, don't live in the future, live right now because this is where God is, where God is active, where God is loving you. Hmm. And this is where you can make a difference. Yeah, and where you are called to love others, that's right. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. It's easy to overlook that. That's, many scholars say that's the, those are the key words for all those verses you read. Interesting. Well, I, I, I have to admit when I was preparing for this, I, I did read that and go, that's a funny way to construct it, but I guess, yeah. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I overlooked it, so shame yeah. on me. Shame on me. But yeah, I, it, no. did, it did, it did, uh, it did uh, speak to me a little bit, but Good. just enough to, to, to go, hey, that was different. Yeah, yeah, that, that little blip or hmm. trip in our, as we're reading, which often is where God is trying to say, wake up. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, anything else? Uh, with these with these readings, yeah, probably about three more hours worth, but we sure. better wrap it up. And volumes <laughs> volumes four through eight, uh, we'll cover no. So uh, again, this was so this was for the upcoming Sunday, November twenty fifth. We'll be back next week. We'll we'll cover as you as you kind of hinted to some more Revelations readings uh, mm -hmm. in, in in the weeks to come and the I, season of Advent and the season of Advent and and it's we're we're. We're knee deep in it at this point. As we're recording this, we're before the storm of, of Advent. But uh, but by the time this gets released, uh, we will be we will be will be right there, knee deep in it. So. Right. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for joining us. This uh, for for shortcut to Sunday. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Bruce, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Test, 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 testing one, two, three. This is a test of the Holy Family Episcopal Church podcast network. Thank you.